Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, Maser, Sheni, the laws of the second tithe, Vineter, Ravaya, and the fourth year produce, Pedic Shishi, chapter 6. Aleph 1, we talked earlier and we will continue to talk about a phenomenon existing within Maser Sheni. And it actually makes it pretty complex, this phenomenon. What's the phenomenon? On the one hand, Maeser Sheni funds and Maeser Sheni produce are expended upon the person, upon ourselves. We take the money, we take the produce to Jerusalem. We take the money to Jerusalem. You go into a supermarket, you buy a bag of chips and a Diet Coke or a Coke Zero. And, and that's Maeser Sheni. You buy pastrami and rye bread and mustard, grepopon, and, and uh, wine and... and so, it seems like everyday food. You're going to Jerusalem, and you're renting an apartment, and uh, you're eating. On the other hand, my Sashani is holy. It's sacred. It has sanctity to it, to the extent that if somebody misuses the my Sashani, there could be lashes under certain circumstances. So, it's a little bit difficult to understand if you're talking about Trumo. The truma is Cohen's food. I know it's holy. My sersheni, which I use for myself. I could buy anything edible that I want to. Food, drinks, anointing oils. What's holy about it? That's why it's so difficult. Because it has tremendous sanctity to it. Yet, we use it for ourselves. We make, as I quoted earlier from my father, a fabrengen. We gather friends and family in Jerusalem, and that's my sashini. Aleph, so mois chulen. What if everyday mundane money? We had a jar of regular money, mois meiser, and then we had a jar of meiser money. Shenispazru, and both groupings of money dropped to the ground. And now there's one big mess of money, and we have no idea what's what. Meiser Shani money is holy. Regular money is regular. Velikate, let's say it was slime, which is a valuable coin, a seller. A whole jar of, a whole box of slime could be, in today's uh, economy, uh, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars. When the seller was worth. <clears throat> what a seller should be worth. When the dollar was worth what a dollar was worth. So, Shinispazru, they're now all over the place. Belikate mikan, umikan. The guy went and started, got, got down on his hands and knees and starts picking up as many uh, sloyim as he can here and there. So, let's say he dropped 50 coins of Meiser Shani and 50 coins of regular. Whatever he gathered, says the Mishnah, is based on Meiser. He gathered Meiser. Until he comes to 50. And the rest is everyday money. So that the Halacha states that being that conceivably what he picked up could have been Maser, 
So we say it is Maser. However, another scenario, what if he just gathered everything up together? He didn't collect from one area. He just bunched everything together, collect, made a big heap. Or he only gathered from one corner. But the bottom line is, and he found that there wasn't enough. Let's say he dropped a hundred Maishasheni and a hundred regular coins. And uh, he doesn't have enough. He only finds uh, 180. Actually, the Rambam gives another example. What if there were 200 Selahs, Sloyim of Maeser Sheini, or Meachulin and a hundred Sloyim of everyday money, Nisbazru, of Lolan, Bechafan, Akel, they were all over the place, and he piled them up together, and he, all, he put them all in his hand. And all he found was 270, instead of 300. There's 30 missing. He has no idea where the 30 went to. Maybe they're here, there, maybe they got stuck under the floor, who knows? So 180, we prorate it. 180 of those coins is Maeser. And 90 is Chulun. Why? Because 90 is half of 180, just as 100 was half of 200. So it's prorating by ratio. How do you know when you say the first 200 coins is Maeser and when you say you prorate? So the rule is, if you gather them one by one, then it all goes to Maser Shani. But if you make a pile out of them, then you know you have clearly everything that's there from both. That is, that you're able to locate the or the Fichajmin, you prorate it. However, in all cases, Masna, he must make a condition, and he should say, and remember, the very basis of Maeser Shani is that you could take produce and exchange it for money. Even though we learned it's not good to take money and exchange it for money, but here there's like an emergency. He says, Im If the sloyim or the coins that I have in my hands are Maeser coins, Hashar Chulun, then the rest is everyday coins. But if they're everyday coins, regular coins, Moes, then wherever the miser is, they have been exchanged. So in any event, what's in my hand is miser. And that's the advantage that miser has, is that it's interchangeable. Even though, again, as our sages said earlier, we should not exchange money for money in the case of miser. But here, there's a case of difficulty. Similar case, very interesting, base to What if a sela, a silver coin, of Maishasheni money and everyday money became mixed up? So you know, you don't know which one is which. You have two coins in your hand, two silver coins. One is Maishasheni, the other is not. But you have no idea which is which. Maybe b'sela moist. The best way to go about this is you bring a sela's worth of change. Even though we said earlier that silver should not be exchanged for copper in my sashini unless you need the change to buy things. 
But still here, this is the best way to go. You bring a pile of copper coins worth of sella. Amen. And you say, No matter where the Maishasheni Sela is, Its sanctity is now transferred to my copper coins. So now the copper coins are Maishasheni. Now that we've established that, so now both silver coins are not Maishasheni, because the Maishasheni was transferred to the copper Beir, the sanctity of the Maishasheni was transferred to the copper. Beir, he chooses es hayopa Back then, coins would age and wear and tear. So you had a nice seller and a, an ugly seller. I guess nowadays also. You can have a dollar that's sablujit and sahargit. You know, that's what, the ones they take out of circulation. Beir Asayofi takes the better one, Shabishnaim of the two sellers, or Machal Hamois, Shalnachesh, and he exchanges the copper currency for it. And now the nicer seller becomes miser. So that's a step by step program when two sellers become confused. Here we see the importance of the sanctity here. Gimel, Oimelibnei, what if somebody says to his son, a man says to his son, Listen, in this in this corner in my house, in our house, there is my sashani. In the northwest corner, and then finally the son gets around to looking, and he finds it's in the southeast corner, not in the northwest corner. Being that the father was meticulous and said, northwest corner, and the grain that he found it was in southwest corner. Clearly, it's other grain. It's regular, everyday grain. Where's the mice, Shani? It's gone. Somebody took it. The mice ate it. Oh, Marley, what if he said to him, Hare Shamona? He said, I have mice, Shani, in this and this place. And there is a hundred dollars and he went a hundred sellers and he went and found Masayim 200 now this is a problem his father told him there's a hundred and he found 200 it didn't have a baby it wasn't cloned Hashar so we say that the rest the extra hundred is everyday money we don't say the father made a mistake and there was 200 to begin with what if he said there's 200 in this and this place? And all he found was 100. In this case, we say that the 100 is everyday money. Where's the 200? Someone took it. But this 100 is not from that 200. What if he put away a money and he found 200? Should happen to everybody. You put 100 away and you find 200. Or you put away 200 and you find 100. I feel the hembishnei Even if you find them in two separate wallets, two separate bags, purses, everything is everyday money. Because the bottom line is, it's not the way you put it away. So we have to assume that what was is gone, and what is is something else. What if his father says to him, "Kiss my sersheni, libaboyis." I have a bag or a purse of my Sashani money in the house. He went to that place where his father said the purse was, and he found three bags, not one, three purses. 
This is good. The question is, what is it? What's what? The largest of the three is my Sashani. Vashar and the other two are chul in our everyday mundane money. He shouldn't expend and utilize and eat from the small purses until he makes the exchange to the big ones because, again, the advantage of my Sashani is you can actually perform this exchange. So he says, no matter what was, I'm now officially, formally making an exchange. Dalit Amarle No, we did that already. Hey, Mishanishtatek, this is an interesting law which we find in several places in Torah. If somebody, God forbid, loses his power of speech, and they said to him, so they're trying to communicate with him. And they say to him, listen, father, grandfather, whatever it was, mister, the Maishashani is in this and this place, right? It's in the northeast corner of your office, right? He shakes his head. The problem is we don't know what he means when he shakes his head. Maybe he's got a tick. Maybe he doesn't understand. So you test him. You ask him three questions. What are the three questions you ask him? You ask him three simple questions, but two of them should be yes questions, and one of them should be no questions. You know, is today Monday? Yes. Uh, is it, uh, what, is the month January? Yes. Is it snowing outside? No. So you know that he's not only doing yes. That's the test that we put this type of person through, and we find this in laws of divorce as well. Like we check for divorce, once we've given him the three-question test, with a positive and a negative within the three questions, we can trust him. We can rely that this is my Sashani, or is not my Sashani. Now comes a fascinating law, my friends. In general, in life... We talk about if somebody came to me in my dream and told me something. Somebody comes to me in my dream. My great-grandfather comes to me in my dream and says to me, listen, go in the backyard 20 feet from the corner, from south, from north. Start digging and you'll find the treasure. And I go and start digging and I find the treasure. What do I say? I say, thank you, great-granddaddy. So, you know, we, we tend to take dreams very, pretty seriously, especially when they're true especially when they come out sounding good. That's nice. But in halacha, it's a problem. Dreams and halacha don't go together. What if a man saw in his dream, this guy's been going crazy trying to find his, his father who died. He left an estate or he disappeared. He's trying to find his second tithe because it's, it's a sacred. It's not a joke. So he, he says to him in his dream, the Maishashani, you're looking for, it's in this and this place. It's in my office, you know, behind the bookcase, there's a secret passageway, and it's there. He goes and he finds it. Ain't a Maishashani, it's not Maishashani. Why? Because when it comes to halacha, stuff. Revealed in dreams, are of no significance whatsoever, for the better or for the worse. It's very nice, 
but it doesn't have halachic power. You don't decide Torah law by dreams. Now, we have many stories where Torah interpretations were taught to great tzaddikim by dreams, but uh, the principle is Torah lo b'shamayim hi. The Torah is not in heaven, it was given on earth. If somebody says to his sons, listen, my sons, even if you're dying, you're in a dire emergency, whatever you do, don't touch what's in this and this corner. And they find money. That's the, that's the last thing you should tell your son. Because <laughs> he'll go straight to the corner the first opportunity. And he finds money, finds a million dollars. This is everyday money. Why? Because he just doesn't want them to touch the money. There's no proof that there was sanctity attached to this money. What if he hides money before their very eyes and he says to them, I want you to know I'm putting this money away. This belongs to Moshe. This belongs to Oscar. Or this is my Sashani money. If he looks like he's teasing them or tricking them, sometimes a father will put away money, tell you it belongs to someone else, or tell you it's my Sashani, because he doesn't want you to use it. So it's a ploy to get you to keep your hands off of it. If that's the suspicion then you don't worry about it too much. And if the father is out of the picture, it's everyday profane money. But if his statement sounds like it's on the up and up, then then his words must be sustained. What if he finds a box, a chest of produce and it, or of money, and it has a mem written on it, Commentaries explain that there was a time when there were government decrees against performing mitzvahs, when they were afraid to write meiser or truma or any other word so that they not be convicted of performing mitzvahs. So they would write codes. They would use the initial mem. Mem could mean meiser. It could be moshe. You can safely assume that if there's a box of produce or a box of money, it says mem on it, it's meiser sheni money. Dalid, it's the my money, uncertain money, as we learned earlier. Tes, Tebel, it's produce from which Meister had not yet been separated. Tof, Truma, it's the Kohen Truma food. Kuf, Korban, set aside for a sacrifice. <clears throat> what if it was not a chest, but it was metal? <laughs> then, it and the container are consecrated for a sacrifice, not only the stuff, but the container itself. Because in contrast, he says, an earthenware container does not have value, but the metal ta- container has value. We have to assume that that is also holy. Why? Why can't we say if it was truma, he should write truma? If it was meiser, he should write the whole word. Because at times of danger, times of decrees against Jewish observance in Roman persecution, they would write initials instead of words. 
Next scenario, what if somebody is walking down the street in Jerusalem and he finds money? Yay. Even if he finds gold dinars together with silver, together with other monies. Now his question is, what is this money? Because if it's miser, he's not allowed to utilize it. Because even if somebody lost it, it still retains its sanctity. This is everyday money. Why? So he gives a fascinating explanation. As we will learn in great detail, ritual purity is a key to this whole experience. And therefore, in order to maintain ritual purity in Jerusalem, they were meticulously clean. The sanitation department in Jerusalem was very meticulous in case there was a dead rodent, which would bring about impurity. So, being that the streets of Jerusalem are cleaned every day, then you would not assume that this bunch of money was dropped here last Passover when the pilgrims came, when the visitors came. And that's when people bring my Shani, major holidays. And you found it now in a non-holiday season. And they clean the streets every day. But if there is a shard which says Maiser, then no matter where and when you found it, it's second tithe. When does this apply? When it's all year round. That you find a be a, a money, even a large sum of money, even with gold coins, and you say it's not meiser. But if it's the festival season when everybody brings their meiser, hakal meiser, then you must assume that all the money is meiser. So it's a question of season. Yud What if you find money near a place which sells animals to the clients who want to bring sacrifices? We learned earlier that people used to take their miser money, their miser shani money. They used to buy animals and bring the animals as voluntary sacrifices. And then they used to invite their friends and family to eat of it. Or they used to buy other forms of sacrifices. La miser, it's always miser. Because most of the people bring their miser money and buy animals with it. However, money that's found on or near the Temple Mount, is always mundane, ordinary, everyday funds. Why? Because we operate under the assumption that it came from the Temple Treasury. And the treasurer has already transferred its holiness to an animal because that was the practice. People would contribute to the temple treasury. And then the temple treasury would buy sacrifices. And in general, money was not, people were not allowed to bring money into the temple mount area, as we will learn. Therefore, it's highly likely that this money belongs to the holy temple and was already... exchanged for an animal, so the animal became holy and the money is no longer holy. What if a chest has money in it? That chest was used for everyday money and money. And you found money in it. If most people 
put miser money in that chest, Hari miser. So the funds are miser money. As we learned earlier, we always follow majority. The majority of people put miser there. The majority of people put ordinary money there. Chulun, then the money is ordinary. Machzah, the machzah, what if it's 50-50? Chulun, it is ordinary money because you need majority to determine. You'd be, unless you have proof, unless you have a reason, <coughs> you can assume it's ordinary money. Matzah, peres, ben peres, maizah, the peres, trumba. What if somebody found produce? Right smack in the middle between a pile of maizah produce and a pile of ordinary produce. What if somebody found produce between a pile of ordinary produce and maizah produce? Then, yipul akarev, you associate it with the closest pile. If the miser pile is closer, it becomes miser. If the non-miser pile is closer, it becomes non-miser. Mechzah the mechzah. What if it's at the middle, the exact center mark? Then, when you consume it, you have to consume it both by the laws of, uh, of, of truma and both by the laws of miser. Truma has to be eaten only by a kohen. And Meister could be eaten by the owner. The, the scenario, I'm not sure if I said it correctly, so let me repeat it again. The scenario is if he found produce between Meister produce and Truma produce. So it goes to the closest. If Truma is closer, it's Truma. If Meister is closer, it's Meister. I think I earlier mistakenly said ordinary. If it's half and half, it has to be eaten by the more stringent application of the truma and the miser. Asurim lezorim, which is that it is forbidden for a non-Kohen to eat it, because it might be truma. Utunu nechitzes yadayim, the hands must be washed, because it might be truma. The head of Shemesh, if somebody becomes impure, impure, they have to immerse in a mikvah, but they have to wait until the sun sets, katruma like truma, because we learned earlier that when somebody becomes impure, he's also not allowed to eat miser. He has to immerse in a mikvah, but he does not have to wait till the sun sets. That's the difference between miser sheni and truma. So in this case, you have to take the more severe approach. You must wait till the sun sets. Basudim and they're forbidden for to a person who is in biblical mourning. and they have to be eaten only in Jerusalem. That's a stringency of miser, because truma does not have to be eaten only in Jerusalem. The same applies for monies that is found in between ordinary produce and miser produce. You take the severity of both. What if certain demai miser sheni became mixed up with certain certain miser sheni? Demai is rabbinic miser sheni. There are a lot of leniencies that exist in rabbinic Masasheni. So here we take the more severe approach to each of them, of each of them. What a produce of Maiser becomes mixed with produce of ordinary produce. Let everything be eaten in a state of purity in the right place. Or better yet, he can redeem the tie, the miser. Because remember, miser is redeemable. The people there from the Sarvabirushalayim, if it became mixed in Jerusalem, we learned earlier that once 
produce enters into Jerusalem and the walls consecrate it, it can never again be redeemed or taken out. Then they are always forbidden because he's in Jerusalem. Furthermore, we learned earlier in the laws of forbidden foods, in the laws of nullification, that things are nullified when there are certain percentages, except if something will eventually become permitted or has a way of it being permitted. So the way that this is permitted is you eat it in Jerusalem. And everything has to be eaten in a state of purity. What if somebody plants second-tide seeds once he's in Jerusalem? That which grows, is my sashani food. What if he plants it before he enters? That which grows are ordinary produce. Earlier we learned that there's a difference whether the seed becomes totally decomposed or only partially decomposed or not at all decomposed depending upon the particular thing he's planting. Even if it does not decompose, that which grows becomes ordinary produce. And once it's growing, it could be redeemed. Is nullified within majority. What are we talking about? Which miser needs to be nullified? Because ordinarily the best solution for miser is to redeem it. A particular scenario. You took miser produce, you brought it into Jerusalem. Halacha says you can never again bring it out. And you did bring it out, you violated that. So now what happens? We learned earlier. What happens if you bring my sashani produce into Jerusalem? You're not allowed to bring it out, but you brought it out anyway. What do you have to do? You have to bring it back. But when Naflu Mechitza, some reason, the walls of Jerusalem fell down. So it doesn't have the sanctity of a walled Jerusalem. It's not going to help to bring it back. There are no walls to return it to. We also learned earlier, you can't redeem it once it went in. It becomes sacred, it's not redeemable. Even though there is not even a pruta's worth, the volume is very small. And in this case, you can't find any manner of permissibility because there are no walls. And this is the scenario where Ubatl Berev, where it could be nullified in its majority and the majority of ordinary produce, as we explained earlier in the laws of forbidden foods, end of chapter 6.